0: And then uh, we release them to children's ministry. <clears throat> and those going back to children's ministry, key, please let who's ever back there know that we uh, started 15 minutes late so they don't um, leave the church because they're so mad. Yeah. Good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning. And uh, for those visiting, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, it's a privilege to serve you this morning. Uh, a few things. One is <clears throat> we have an evangelism workshop coming up at the end of October. And... Uh, The Great Commission is the most important thing on the planet. And so being equipped and learning how to share your faith is critical. So we have a workshop at the end of this month for you to um, learn how to do that effectively. And also, um, every Sunday, uh, I have been looking forward to risk emails coming in. What do I mean by that? Uh, I've been encouraging us as a congregation to take risks. Whether it's to pray for somebody at work or at school or in your sports team that has a cold or an ache in their body or something. Say, can I pray for you? Uh, Just step out and take a risk because that is where God meets you. When you take a risk, heaven responds. Sometimes we get these big testimonies. Sometimes the testimony is simply, I stepped out of my comfort zone. And you keep doing that, it becomes a lifestyle for us as a congregation. And we're going to start seeing God do more things. So, i got a couple of risky emails that came in this morning, or this week. Mary Vraplava says this, Thursday I was getting out of my car at the bank, and I observed a well-dressed Persian woman leaving the bank. She looked to be in such pain as she gingerly stepped off the curve. I was moved with compassion and walked up to her. There's the risk, right? Rather than sitting in my car and praying for her, I walked up to her and asked if I could pray for her. She said yes. Very few people, I have found, say no when you ask if they would like prayer. It's such a soft entry. I asked what what the problem was. She's having knee surgery next week. Her name was Vadi. I prayed a simple and gentle prayer for the day in preparation for the surgery, for the doctors and professionals, and for her recovery. She looked me in the eyes and thanked me. As I didn't know where she was in her faith, my prayer appealed to the Father, and I added the name of Jesus at the end. But Pastor Mark suggested that the way he ends those type of prayers is to add, Father... Reveal your incredible love and yourself to them. I never thought to do that and will include a gentle prayer for their soul in the future when I pray for healing in the physical body. Way to go, Mary. Way to step out and take a risk. I also got an email from Liz Williams. She says, I was in line at Starbucks drive-thru waiting for my drink when I felt God speak to my heart and say, talk to the barista at the window. I felt him say to me that the barista was going through a situation in his life where he has... Uh, that he's confused and he has to make a tough choice. As I pulled up to the window and got my drink, I said to the barista, I have something for you. Isn't that a great entry? I have something for you. Like the woman at the well, right, when she gave Jesus a cup of water and he gave her the living water, I have something for you. Are you going through a difficult decision right now and a circumstance you have to make a decision? He responded, Yes. She said, God just wants me to tell you that he is with you in the decision process and he will guide you. He looked at me and said, wow, really? Thanks. And I drove away knowing God spoke directly to his heart. It was intimidating, but it was also life-giving. Amen? Amen. Way to go, Liz. Way to step out and expand the kingdom on a daily basis. Next week, uh, we have reserved... Uh, for a Q&A Sunday. We are, I'm going to finish up the Book of Romans this morning. And uh, when we do the end of the series, one of the things we um, like to do is to have a and a at the end of a series. So this week, you need to send in questions to me about the Book of Romans and or, secondarily, outside of the Book of Romans, just about the issues in life and God's perspective on them and what the Bible would say about them. And so Mark and I will do our best to answer questions that you might have. Uh, if we don't get enough questions in this week, we'll have a message prepared. We'll feed you as our responsibility is. But the Q&As uh, can get pretty darn exciting and a little spicy at times. So this week, send in questions about the Book of Romans or outside the Book of Romans, and we'll do a Q&A next Sunday. So let's pray. And... Pardon me? Uh, just send them, send them to me, john at org. Real simple. Everybody say it, john at gatheringplacechurch.org. There it is. All right. Okay? Here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the written, written word of God that is perfect. You are the God of truth. Thank God for it. We thank you, Lord, that we are not confused. We're not wondering about the philosophies of men. We're not wondering about what the core values are that we should be living by because you've made them so clear and plain in your word. And we are so thankful to you for it. We're so grateful for the men and women who went before us that gave their lives so that we could have this book in our laps today. So Lord, open it up to us. Holy Spirit, open it up to us today so we can be fed By the words of the living God. And everybody said, Amen! Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. This is the wrapping up of Romans. Now, I'm doing Romans 15, though the last chapter in Romans is Romans 16. But uh, we got a little mixed up there because of uh, scheduling and stuff. So Mark did Romans 16 last week. Thank you, Mark, very much for that. Excellent teaching on Romans 16 today we are doing Romans 15 and we're going to start with verse 7 because last time I taught I taught on Romans 14 all the way up through Romans 15 verse 7 so I want to springboard off verse 7 again so Romans 15 verse 7 says this accept one another then just as Christ just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God Now, I know this verse is confusing. I mean, in the grammatical structures, it can be a little awkward and confusing. And the words in here, there's multiple words for accept, receive, embrace. You know, if you break this down, it's complicated. And so I want to try to simplify it. Now, last time I taught, I gave you a graph that was really complicated. This graph I'm going to show you here in a moment is going to be complicated, but stay with me and I'll walk you through it, okay? Because this is a very important verse, and I'll do my best to break this down. Okay, I'll walk you through this graph. Okay, okay, you see Jesus at the top? Okay, and then you see you down at the bottom left, and me on the bottom right. Okay, you want me to go through that again? Yeah, it is. It's complicated. So, I'm going to walk you through this. Uh at the top is Jesus, then you, then me. Now watch what happens. Jesus... We have some errors on here, Chris. Okay. Well, it is just got more complicated than I expected. <laughs> on my graph, I had an arrow going from Jesus to you, and then an arrow going from Jesus to me. Now let me explain. That means Jesus, well, let's read the verse again. Ready? Accept one another just as, everybody say just as. Just as Christ. Accepted you. So the third arrow, let's go back to the third arrow, if it was up here, is an, is an arrow between you and me. Jesus accepted you. Jesus accepted me. And then he says, now we are to accept one another just as. Can someone explain to me what just as means? Say it out loud. How did Jesus accept you? Was it because you were part of the right denomination? Because you had the right amount of money? Because you came from the right family? Because you have the right skin color? Because of your education? I mean, did God look down from heaven and see you and go, Wow! What a specimen. Jesus, we've got to have this one. Because it will up our heavenly profile. Is that how Jesus accepted you? No, how did Jesus accept you? Unconditionally. Everybody say that. Unconditionally. Think about you when he accepted you. I was thinking about this process that Kavanaugh just went through for the Supreme Court. And I thought, I said to my wife... If that was me, I would be cooked, fried, and filleted. Because there is enough evidence on me for me to be destroyed. When Jesus found me, I was not acceptable. But he accepted me. That's why we can't judge one another. Who are we to judge another? I'm going to read this again. Accept one another. Everybody say just as. Just as Christ accepted you. The way I do this is most of the time when I remember to, and it really helps. Whenever I'm interacting with somebody, a family member, or maybe a classmate, or a teammate, or a work associate, a stranger, whenever I'm interacting with somebody, I imagine Jesus right between us. I'm telling you. You put Jesus between you and them, it changes the way you relate. Because the reality is Jesus loves every individual. You and I don't. But when we in our imagination put Jesus between me and you put him between you and your spouse, between you and your kids, between you and your parents, between you and your work associates, between you and your Facebook post, think about it. Think about it. If when on Facebook you are about to type and you put Jesus between you and your post, before you write it, do you think the post would look a little different? You see, we can call ourselves Christians and say, hey, I'm a Christian, I go to church. But when I'm on Facebook, I'm doing my own thing. With my spouse, the way I relate to my spouse, I'm doing my own thing. With my money, I'm doing my own thing. You see, that is not Christianity. Christianity is, you and I who have come to Christ are literally citizens of heaven. And there is a culture in heaven called the kingdom of God. It has core values, it has ways of thinking, ways of seeing, ways of behaving. And Paul says this, the Apostle Paul says you and I are citizens of heaven temporarily living in the earth. So there is a superimposed kingdom of God value system that is superimposed upon The cultures of the earth. And you and I are not to be living according to the culture, the value system, the philosophies of men and women who teach and preach in the earth anything other than the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we are not the salt and light of the world. I was talking to one of our team leaders this week, and he said, when when I'm at work, he says, Oh, it's so easy to fall into the conversations, the jokes. The, 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 because when you're the odd person out, nobody wants to be the odd person out. I'll be honest. Well, not that I have to tell you this. When you have decided that I am going to be a kingdom Christian, I am going to be a son and daughter of God, son or daughter of God, living according to the biblical values while I live in the earth, you are going to experience more loneliness socially than you ever would if you did not decide you were going to live as a follower of Christ. Because when you're at school, you're going to be the odd person out. When you're at work, you'll be the odd person out. When you're a sports team, you're the odd person out. And it can be a little awkward. It can be a little strange. Now, if you're being obnoxious and superior and judgmental and weird, that's on you. But if you are just simply saying, I live according to a different kingdom. Jesus said, if my kingdom was of this earth, my father would send 12 legions of angels and deliver me. My, my kingdom is not of this world. He told you and I we're in it, but we're not of it. That's the key. Well one of the kingdom values, a major kingdom value, is no matter what color is your skin, no matter what political party you belong to, no matter what your heritage is, no matter what town you come from, no matter how young or old you are, no matter what denominational background you have, no matter how sorted your background is, no matter who you are, if you have come to Christ you and I are to accept one another just as Christ accepted us. Amen. Jesus said this, the world will know you're my followers by the way you love one another. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church. Chapter 14, now the Roman church is primarily made up of Gentiles and Jews. Jews. A lot more Gentiles than there were Jews. Because the Jews uh, evacuated and then they came, some came back. And so they come into this, this non-Jewish Gentile church. And these Gentiles had none of the Jewish customs. The Jews come back in and they bring their customs with them, adding them to the cross of Christ. So there was conflict about what it means, what's the, what does the kingdom culture look like here in Rome? And so Romans 14 was writing to the Gentiles saying, Receive your, the Jewish believers. Even though they say you have to you know, uh, um, hold on to holy days and you can't eat certain things and all that, he said, look, just accept one another right where you're at. Now in Romans 15, he's talking to, primarily to the Jewish believers about receiving the Gentiles. Now you have to understand, the Jews and the Gentiles they have been enemies at this point for about 3,000 years. And we're not talking about just not liking each other. I don't know if anybody saw the UFC last night. I caught a little clip of it. And, uh, you know, McGregor, who was smack talking, and the guy he was fighting smack talking, seriously before the fight, and then they fought, and then there was a brawl after, and People getting punched and knocked out that we're not supposed to be in the ring and all. It's just it was mayhem. That was all built up by just a very short history of hating each other and then they met. and Bam. Okay, I bring that up as a little tiny shallow microcosm of of the kind of conflict you'll be dealing with here, where Babylon came in and ravaged Jerusalem. I mean, tore down Solomon's temple, took all the best men and women as slaves into Babylon and just decimated the capital of Judaism in Jerusalem. And then the Medes came in and the Persians came in and the Greeks came in and now the Romans are occupying Jerusalem. And, and here the Jews are in Rome. And they've, they've lost their identity. They've, they, they've lost their heritage. They've lost everything. And now these Gentiles who have decimated who they are as a people, they're supposed to receive and embrace and be friends and love each other and go to church together and worship together and eat together? This is crazy. And so Paul goes on in verse 8 and says this, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises he made to the patriarchs. So first, he's saying Jesus came to the Jews as the Messiah to fulfill the promises to the, 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 the forefathers that the Messiah would come so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. In other words, bringing in a people group that... Nobody ever thought it was supposed to be part of the kingdom of God. Then he quotes four Old Testament verses to just drive this home to the Jewish believers. He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. He's quoting Old Testament verses here so the Jews can see that God's plan was always to have non-Jews in the kingdom. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing. I can see some of the Jews right now going, No! No! I mean, the paradigm is just shattering here. I mean, if you remember, on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit got poured out in Jerusalem during the greatest festival in Jewish uh, culture, and that's what God waited for. His orchestration is just divine. He waited until more Jews than ever are in Jerusalem during the uh, feast, of, uh, feast of Tabernacles and Pentecost. They're all there. And that's when God pours out the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up, preaches a sermon. 3,000 Jews got saved in one day. And then by the end of the week, there were 8,000 Jews saved. doesn't mention any Gentiles. In fact, it doesn't mention any Gentiles until Acts chapter 10. And yet Jesus said to the Jews, he said to his apostles, he said as he was leaving the earth, Go into all the world. Preach the good news of forgiveness through me to all people. i clearly in their mind... Through their grid, they interpret all people as all Jewish people. This is what we do. We have grids, we have screens, we have filters that we hear God through. And our filters are, are not even close to being as gracious and wide and open as God's is. To the point where Peter, who was his, like, inner circle disciples who lived with Jesus three and a half years saw him minister to the Samaritan woman, saw him minister to the Phoenician woman, saw him ministering to these non-Jews. They were with Jesus, God in the flesh, and yet it's Acts chapter 10 where God has to give Peter a vision about eating unclean animals which represented the Gentiles. Get the gospel too, Peter. Our prejudices are deeply entrenched in all of us. And it takes the Holy Spirit to shake those things and break those things up so that we can be ministers of Christ to the world. And I'm talking about Republicans to Democrats and Democrats to Republicans. I'm talking about Baptists to the Pentecostals, the Jewish believers to non-Jewish believers, black, white, yellow, green, old, young, Christ Jesus we are one. Where was I? Just before that. See sometimes when I preach and I'm I'm telling a story I have 14 other stories that start coming out and if I don't finish it I don't finish it and that's like a dud, right? So Peter gets this vision and he realizes he's supposed to open the gospel to everybody. These breaches are so deep in us. These breaches can be in a local church. These breaches can be throughout the kingdom of God and they're certainly in the world. I'm going to show you a video very quickly as a testimony of the power of the person of Jesus who can bridge the gap between two of the most polarized, painful people that have probably ever been on the planet. This is the power of Jesus. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian believer who hid Jews in her closet during the Holocaust. She ended up being arrested and she was in the concentration camp with her sister who ended up being murdered. They were tortured, unmercifully treated. And then Corey made it out. And this is what she says as she was preaching a sermon. This is one of her messages she was preaching.
1: It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and it came a man to me and said, ah, Mr. Brown, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? suddenly I saw a man that was one of the most cruel outseers, guards, in the the concentration camp. And that man said, I am now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I had forgiveness for the cruelties I had done but then I had asked God grace for an a, a opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness and and Tambone won't you forgive me do you forgive me? and I could not I remembered of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus said that? And you do not forgive those who have sinned against you. My heavenly Father will not forgive me your sins. And I know and all. I am not ready for Jesus not because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able. I could not. I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful text, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed brought into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, Brother, get me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love streaming through my arms. You never touch so, the ocean of God's love and that you forgive your enemies.
0: So, fellow brother and sister Christian, who do you need to forgive? What Christian on this planet that Jesus died for and calls his son or daughter and your brother or sister, do you need to do everything that's within you to get the anger and bitterness out of your heart and forgive them just as Christ has? I'm telling you, it will cause the life of God to begin flowing through you again. The depth of revelation you'll get from the Word, the joy you'll have in the presence of God, physical healing for your body, life in your spirit, it all comes rushing back. But see, we have these, these dams built up inside of us that come from being mistreated and used and misunderstood. and We all have them. But are you going to be a victim or a victor? Christ has come as our supernatural shepherd to enable us to live as more than conquerors through him who loves us. And this is one of the biggies. And this is what he's writing to the Roman church, to the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying the wall has come down between the Jew and Gentile. It's over. That's all history. A new man has been born. Look what he writes here in the book of Galatians. He says, For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, there's Jew and Gentile, there's slave and free, there's male and female, but not in the way that we see one another and relate to one another. When you put Jesus between you and everything, well, everything changes. The lens that we look through, it's divine. It's divine. I'm telling you, my wife and I have been married 22 years, six children, two bouts with cancer, two special needs children, her in school, me pastoring a church. But we've been through struggles and heartaches and misunderstandings. I mean, and there are times when I feel anger in my heart or hardness in my heart or pride. And I go in my bedroom and when I kneel down, the first thing Jesus talks to me about is the way that I'm treating my wife. And I can't get away from him. And I don't want to. That's why I get on my knees. I know if I get on my knees, it's going to be like Clark, Clark Kent going into a phone booth and coming out like Superman. It's a transformation. It's not my love, my patience, my joy, my peace. It's his flowing through. That's why she said, Romans 5, 5, the love of God shed abroad in my heart. It was the love of God in her heart that been able to reach out her hand and shake the hand of the Nazi soldier that tortured her and killed her sister. That is not human, humanly possible. That's why he goes on to say here in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, after he talks about the Gentiles get into verse 13, may the God of hope, everybody say the God of hope. What a great name for God. The God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace. See, that's a joy and a peace that's separate from any natural source. It's a Joy and peace that only comes from the supernatural living God of hope that's in our lives. As you, as you trust in Him, boom, that right there is what unlocks the joy and the peace. Is trusting in God, His sovereignty, His working. I know there are things in your life right now that just look like there's no way out, that look painful, look like, how is this going to change there's no hope. All of us have experienced times like that. But when there's no hope in the natural there's the God of hope. The God of hope. And when we trust in him, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not happen in the next few years, but I'm telling you, 5 years, 10 years, maybe the end of your life you look back and you're like wow. God really did use work all things together for my good. It just took some time. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 30 years. My wife, about the same. And uh, I'm telling you, you, walk long enough, your trust goes deeper. I've been noticing that, Mark, over the last maybe three to four or five years. I've noticed a peace in my life increasing and it's directly connected to me. Having seen God work His divine tapestry... His divine orchestrations in our lives over and over and over again. That's why I love talking to old people that have been walking with the Lord for decades. They have such a deep understanding of God's sovereignty that they just know He's going to be faithful because they've watched Him be faithful for decades. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him. Are you going to trust God today with your situation? Are you? Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to try to control it? If you do, you just might tear it down. As you trust Him, watch this, so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a natural walk. We are not tapped into our own natural human resources unless you are. As a believer, if you and I are not in the Word and you're not in prayer and you're not in community, people aren't speaking truth in your life, you're not getting on your knees when you're arguing with your spouse, then you are operating on your own natural resources. God's there with you, but there's not a unlocking of human resources if you don't tithe you do not have the resources of heaven opening up and giving you promotions and giving you bonuses and giving you money coming out of nowhere that's not happening because you're not trusting god whatever it might be that you're not trusting him with that means that you're operating your own limited resources in that area that's why you just gotta be all out for God, I'm telling you. That he, is, he is not broke, he is not sad, he's not depressed, he's not confused, he has all the resources we need as we live on earth. Then he goes on to say this I myself am convinced of my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete and knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He's affirming this Roman church, he hadn't been there yet, but he's heard about them, and it says as a, as a pastor affirming a, a, a congregation. You guys are mature. You guys can take care of each other. That's awesome. And I've written to you quite boldly on some points as it's to remind you again, because of God's grace is given to me, to be a minister of Christ Jesus among the Gentiles. So he's talking about the Gentiles again to the Jews. With priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles also might become an offering acceptable to God. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. One scripture says, may I never... Well, look what, look what Galatians 6, 14 and 15 says. He says it again to the Galatians church. It says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. This is so important. As you and I advance in the kingdom of God and we bear fruit and things happen and God uses us you pray with the sick and they get healed you're leading more people to Christ than others around you you give and others don't and then God blesses you financially and you get into this giving and receiving thing and you, you excel may you never boast about anything except what Jesus Christ has done through you amen lest spiritual pride enters our hearts May charismatics never boast to a non-charismatic about how we fall in the gifts of the Spirit. I hate the term full gospel because you just called our brothers and sisters that are not charismatic half-gospel people. That's not going to draw them across the bridge into the full gospel. Paul had... Let hundreds of thousands of Gentiles into the kingdom of God. He says, but may I never boast about it. Because here's the truth. You and I can never lead somebody to Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You and I, at best, are just donkeys that are carrying a message. And we simply tell them about forgiveness in Christ, and then God gives them the faith to believe. The Holy Spirit takes that word of the gospel that came out of your mouth and goes into their soul. Boom! Creates the new birth. Their eyes pop open, and they believe. You and I had so little to do with that, it's almost not even measurable. All we did was step out, and we shared the gospel. And then God did the rest. That's why Paul says, I have nothing to boast about but what Christ has done in my life. I love the scripture in Philippians. He says this in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. Do we want the applause of people or the applause of God? And then he goes on to say in Romans, as we come to a close here, Romans 19, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way to uh, that city, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ here he gives us the power package which we talk a lot about here at the gathering place church miracle signs and wonders we've seen god do a lot of supernatural things i was talking to our apostle from india kumar kumar and his wife sashi who i went to india with my, my daughter Bella and stephanie and some others here from the gathering place we went to india in june and so kumar's wife sashi said her dream is to come to san diego someday so they just came last week and we housed them and We spent uh, uh, three days with him. He said, in India, as he does signs, miracles, and wonders, he said eight out of ten people, and he's he's helped build over 600,000 churches, house churches, in 12 different countries. He said eight out of ten Hindus and Muslims have become Christians through seeing signs, miracles, and wonders. Acts chapter 8 says that the whole city came to Christ because they listened to what Philip had to say because they saw the signs, miracles, and wonders. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus was proven to be the Son of God by the signs, miracles, and wonders that God did through him. So we highly value signs, miracles, and wonders. But here's something else Kumar said. Let's continue to read. He says... in verse 20 it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation rather it is written those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand this is why I often have been hindered in coming to you but now that there is no place left that's why this movement we're part of called no place left it comes right from the scripture now that there is no place left for me to work in these regions I'm going to be coming to you uh kumar's passion is to preach the gospel where it has not been heard and let me tell you something he was here in san diego and i said kumar here's the truth many of our missionaries not missionaries now say they don't need to go overseas to reach unreached people groups they can stay right here in san diego because we are a metropolitan city with multiple refugees and and and, uh, people groups that have never heard the gospel of jesus christ I've led many people to Christ here in San Diego that have never even heard of the name of Jesus. There are 20,000 Indians here. I just preached at an Indian church last Sunday in Poway. Five different languages spoke just in that one church. There's hundreds of languages in India alone in cultures and people groups. And uh, so he wants to go after those who have never heard the gospel. So Bell and I went with him. We went to this village I told you about this when I came back. We were in this home. It was a, the whole village was Hindu, 100% Hindu. We're in this home. Uh, this lady's cow was sick, and so one of the, Hindu, one of the uh, Christian pastors prayed for her cow. The cow got healed, so she wanted to hear the gospel. We led her to the Lord, led her husband to the Lord. And then uh, they went out. As we sat in the house, they went out and got some other villagers to come back. They got saved. The next day we came back, there were more villagers. Well, when he was here this week, he said, now in that Village. And listen, when we came to this village, we're back on a country road. He says, Don't read the book of Acts, do the book of Acts. And that's what we did. We're in this car, we go, there's this Hindu temple with all these different animal statues all over. It, it was just just bizarre from a Western's viewpoint. And we drive by, we go right behind the temple, where's this Hindu village? He said, This wasn't just some Hindu village. He said, This is a Hindu village right behind the temple. He said, because of us going after people who had never heard the name of Jesus boldly and courageously, he said, now there are four churches since June in that village and 70 Hindus have been water baptized and have become Christians. Isn't that awesome? And then he goes on as we close up this chapter in uh, verse 26 and 27, he talks about... Uh, Receiving an offering and bringing it to the uh, Jerusalem church, it says in verse twenty-six, "For Macedonian and Caesarea, those are Gentile churches, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem." In Jerusalem, there was a famine, so the Gentile churches were sending an offering that Paul was going to carry with him to Jerusalem to the Jewish believers there. Isn't that just beautiful love? That's 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 F and C family needs connection that that the Williamses oversee when there are needs in our congregation. They hear about them and they do something about it. And they employ us to make sure that we're meeting the needs of everyone in our congregation. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared the good news. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessing. In other words, the Gentiles got saved because the gospel came out of Jerusalem. So if the Gentiles benefited from the spiritual heritage of Judaism. They owe it to the Jews to share with them the material blessings. So after I completed this task, after I complete it and make sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain. On the way, I want to visit you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and the measure of the blessings of Christ. Now, we'll wrap up with this. I urge you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. The Apostle Paul had come to a place in his ministry where he realized That without prayer, his ministry would go nowhere. Without prayer, he could be martyred. Without prayer, churches, cities would not receive him. He learned that even though he got caught up to the third heavens, he saw heaven. He saw the resurrected Christ. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He knows the Old Testament better than any Jew alive. He was brilliant and powerful and signs, miracles, and wonders and knowledge. Yet he knew that it came down to people praying for him because this is not a natural battle, it is a spiritual battle. Satan wants to pull as many souls to hell with him as he possibly can before Jesus returns, which means you and I must be all about winning souls for Christ. And that's a spiritual battle. It's not how articulate you are with the gospel. It's about prayer. So that God can do what only God can do, which is save souls. And I want to call out to you today. I beg you, as the Apostle Paul did, to join me in my struggle, as he says, and pray for me as your shepherd. Don't waste your time criticizing me. Unless I'm in immorality or something unbiblical or illegal, pray for me. Because if you want a rocking pastor, then you can have one if you're praying for him. But if you are a mean, grumpy, cloudy-minded pastor, just keep cursing me. Or <laughs> my wife, or my kids. And guess what? If I'm not on my knees praying for you, you may not become all that Christ wants you to be because that's my priestly responsibility. I remember in the Old Testament where Saul was was a fleshly king. And God says, don't, I'm your king. I don't want to give you a king. They said, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And he said, okay, I'll give you a king, and he's going to be horrible. And the prophet was so mad, he said, all right, God's going to give you a king. You're going to get what you deserve. And then he says this beautiful passage. He says, but I will not cease praying for you. Because that is his responsibility. I pray for you. Every day I pray for you because I know that's part of the way that God is going to grow you into the Christian that He wants you to be while you're living here on earth. And you must commit to praying for one another because the enemy is attacking every single one of you every single day. He's relentless. And so if we were a praying church, he runs into this shield like the Roman soldiers used to do where they put their shields together and they make this turtle. And as these fiery darts come, they just hit the shields and bounce off. That's prayer coverage. That's what prayer does. We're not praying for one another or criticizing one another or not not even thinking about praying for one another, these darts comes in, these missiles come in and we're just getting hit and we're all alone with our little shield our little sword. That is not the way the body of Christ marches. We march as a platoon together. So I'm going to challenge you today. Go on our website, hit the prayer banner and sign up on the prayer and fasting calendar. I'm going to ask you to fast one meal, one couple meals every week. Set a meal aside. We started this at the beginning of the year and it kind of started petering off. I'm asking you to wee up. If we will fast and pray as a church, we are going to see God do a thousand times more than he will do if we are not a praying and fasting church. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's Romans chapter 15. Amen. Amen. So who do you need to forgive? Where do you need to reconcile with? Where do you need to trust God that you're not trusting Him? Do you need to up your fasting and prayer life so that God can make your heart tender and you can get praying for your church and for your pastor and for your family again so that the God of hope and fill you with all peace and joy as you trust Him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just come to the Holy Spirit together this morning as we close. Ask the Lord, right as we're in this moment of prayer as you're praying to Him Do you hate the Democrats? Do you hate the Republicans? Do you have bitterness and anger in your heart toward another believer whom Christ died for? Trust God.